0: How many fans of Daylight Savings Time in here today? A couple? Wow. Wow. Duke was ready to lead a revolt. Well, um, I don't know if you were here last week, but if you were not, what we talked about last week ties in totally with what we talk about this week and the next probably two. And so um, we're gonna do a pretty deep review. And so if you were we're here last week, you can take a, a couple minute nap if you'd like, um, but last week what we talked about was Acts chapter 3, 1 through 11, so we've been going through the book of Acts, and last week it was Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, and really what happens is there's this man who is lame from birth, he's over 40, he hasn't walked a day in his life, and his friends would take him and lay him at the gate of the temple, and he would just lay there, and he would beg for money. And then Peter and John, one day, they come into the temple, and it's at the hour of prayer. They would typically go at three different times in the day to go pray, and they would be at the temple for an hour. And so they're on their way to the temple. They see this man who's lame from birth. They've recognized him. He's, he's been there a lot. And um, the guy says, hey, give me some money. And Peter and John um, say, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And here's the crazy part. The guy gets up and he walks. And it says that he leaps and he, gets to, he goes into the temple. See, in that time, if, if you had some sort of defect, you couldn't go into the temple. And so now this guy who was just laid at the temple, laid at the gate, can now enter into the temple. He goes in the temple, he's leaping, he's jumping, he's kind of running, he's clinging on to Peter and John. He's praising God. And the crowd notices. The crowd is like, it's noticeable. And the crowd, they are amazed. They're astonished. They're filled with wonder. And they're just staring at this. Like, this is a miraculous thing that has happened. You have day in and day out, gone in and seen this man just laying there. He can't walk. Forty plus years old. And now he's up, walking, running, leaping, praising God. And so they're like, whoa, something here has happened they're they're staring they're trying to figure out what it is and it opens up this awesome opportunity all the people are kind of staring trying to figure out what's going on and so peter preaches it's this awesome opportunity for for peter to preach and really what he says is this is why do you wonder at this and stare as if i did this it says jesus is who did this and then he he, he says you know the one that you killed he just kind of chastises them that you are guilty of killing this Jesus who raised this man. And then he said, but, but it's all right because God raised him from the dead. But what he says to him kind of in a nutshell is, listen guys, you are guilty of killing the, the Messiah. And then he says, he talks about faith and how it was faith in the, the name of Jesus that made this man well. So he, he calls them guilty, he challenges them with faith, And then he multiple times says to repent and turn from their wickedness that their sins may be blotted out. He tells them to turn and repent that times of refreshing may come. Um, Another thing that he says in this is he he talks about how Pilate was getting ready to let Jesus go. If you remember back, Jesus is is, uh, in trial and Pilate's like, he's innocent. There's nothing we can do about it. We're going to let him go. And then the people go crazy, so then he sends them to Herod, and they, Herod brings them back and says, he's, he's, I don't think he's anything to deserve death. So Pilate again says, no, he's innocent, but the people just keep chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So then Pilate thinks, I got this good way to get out of it, and he says, oh, I always re- re- will release someone at Passover so I can release Jesus to you. And they say, no, release um, Barabbas, who was a known murderer. And as I was studying, I came across this line that I just absolutely loved. And it's it's as if Peter is saying to them, you preserved a murderer, a destroyer of life, and you destroyed the savior, the author of life. And so in this, Peter's saying you're guilty, put your faith in Jesus, repent. And then um, this is what happens. Acts chapter four, verse one through 12. If you have your Bibles, feel free to to turn there. Acts chapter four, verse one through 12 will be our text for today. But again, there's this been amazing miracle The people are amazed and it opens the door for this preaching of a a need of faith and of repentance. So this is what the Bible says, Acts chapter four, verse one through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the, excuse me, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means we healed this man by which we must be saved. Let's pray. God, I come before you um, knowing that there's all of us have had very different weeks, I'm sure. There's some of us who have had great weeks, who have had very hard weeks, stressful weeks. um, Weeks where they had experienced a lot of pain God, I pray that no matter where we are coming from mentally, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. God, I pray that it would not be a demonstration of persuasive words of wisdom, but that it would be a demonstration of your power. God, I pray that um, your spirit would land here in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, after Peter gives this message, I kind of see, the way that I see this text is that there's people have three different responses. There's this message of putting, put your faith in Jesus, this message of turn and repent, that you are guilty, that your sins need to be blotted out, that you need refreshing. And I see three different responses that people have in this text. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the three different responses that people have, and then we're going to take a look into our own lives and kind of ask where and how do we fall into those um, three three responses. So that's what we're going to do today. So the first one is this, is is right at the beginning of chapter four, we see that um, Peter's preaching this message, and it says that that the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. And I was thinking about this, so you have these people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, these are the same group of people that when Jesus is praying at Mount Olive, the same group of people that come to arrest Jesus that then put him on trial. And so these people come and surround them and they're greatly annoyed. They're so annoyed that they take them to jail for just teaching about Jesus. But when I was thinking through this, I thought, you know what? I looked into a Sadducee. Sadducee, what they did is they kind of maintained the temple, right? They were kind of um, the uh, religious upper class. They had some political power and, um, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was anything after death. Like when you died, you're just dead. That's what the Sadducees believed. And so they had this group of people, and then there's these people who are just teaching about this poor, dead carpenter. And they, I think what really, what you see in this is they were so annoyed because they really thought it was just causing disruption. This teaching is just, it's, being, it's causing the disruption. It's, it's challenging the status quo. You know, like, why would anyone want to listen to a, to a dead, poor carpenter when we are the, the religious elite? But it was kind of challenging the status quo of what people thought. It threatened their job, their life, and their everything. If, As you see, we'll talk about it in a minute, there's huge groups of people beginning to follow Jesus. And with that, if all these people begin in turn to follow Jesus, then what's going to happen to them, to the temple? What's going to happen? And so it's challenging their status quo. It's threatening their, their job, their life, their future. And the biggest thing is they felt like what Jesus taught was blasphemy. It was wrong. It wasn't true. Because, again, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead in the first place. And so then when they're talking about that Jesus came and he died and he rose again, they're like, it's impossible. But they were annoyed by the teaching, and they wanted to silence it. And so what they do is they send them to jail. If you really don't want to hear something, if you throw the people into jail, you don't have to listen to it. You know, like when my kids are doing things that I really don't like, I can send them to their room and I don't hear it. Well, it's not entirely true. Usually when they're banging on the door and stuff, you still hear it. That's why we have the lock on the outside. I'm just totally just just kidding, I'm just kidding. So, So the first thing that you see is there's a group of people that are annoyed by the teaching. They're annoyed by this teaching. There's a second group of people that you see and um, they aren't annoyed by the teaching. They believe in the teaching. What it says is this, is that as Peter and John are being taken to jail, and and I want to say something too, it's willingly. Think about the last time when when all those guys surrounded um, Jesus, what did Peter do? Remember? Pulled out the sword, cut off the centurion's ear, I don't know, but if I'm one of these guys going to get Peter at this point in time, I'm probably like, you know, just not real sure. But, but last time, Peter's cutting off ears, and Jesus is healing ears, and this time they go willingly to jail. So Peter and John go willingly to jail, and as they do, it says that many believed. Now, if you think back to what we've talked about already in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, there's 120 followers of Christ. It's the apostles, it's the women, and it's the brothers, the earthly brothers of Jesus. 120. And then, remember the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes down, it says that 3,000 souls were added to the number that day. And then as it continues on, it says, and day by day, the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So at the, like, up until right now of what we're reading, there's about 3,120 followers plus more every single day. So let's just say there's 3,500 believers, just to throw out a number. But then this says that there were many who believed and the number came to 5,000 men. And as I was reading through this, some people will be like, no, it means literally at that moment, 5,000 men were added. So you already had 3,120 plus the other, so 3,500, and now we have 5,000 more. Some people say, no, out of that, it kind of fits into, and, and here's the deal, it doesn't really matter. What does matter is there is a huge group of people that believe, and I was really thinking about what does it mean to believe. And so I looked it up in the, defini- in the def- definition in the dictionary, and to believe is to accept it as true, to be sure of something. Hebrews um, talks about that faith is being convinced of, and so there's this group of five thousand men that they believe this message that was preached they are convinced of they're sure of they're accepting it as true and so so what does that mean this group of people they accept it as true that this man could not walk and simply because of the name of jesus he can get up and he can walk they believed they accepted it as true that jesus died and rose again they believe that they they accept that as true they're convinced of it you know what else though that means that they also believe that he's in heaven now and one day he's coming back. They're convinced of that. This group of people that believe, they also believe the message that was spoken, which is that through Christ your sins could be blotted out. I think that that also means that they have to realize that they are guilty. They believe and they accept the fact that I am guilty and I need my sins to be blotted out. I need times of refreshing. And I believe that it can happen through Christ and Christ alone. And so these, this group of people, they believe, they believe that forgiveness is offered through Christ for the ignorance that they lived in. They're sure of, they can, they're convinced of. They believe it so much that they repent. They turn from their wickedness. But there's another group of people, the first group of people, they are annoyed by the teaching. There's a second group of people that they believe in the teaching. And there's a third one. Here's what happens. The next day, so Peter and John, they're in jail, and the next day they're brought out, and they're brought basically to kind of a council. So they they come out and they're surrounded by all of these people. It's the the elders and the scribes, the high priest and his family. And they ask Jesus a question. But I think it's one of those questions you don't want the answer to. Like when I tell my kids, do I look like an idiot or something? I, I don't mean for them to say yes, um, which is what Shane usually does if I say that. Um, same type of thing, when I was a kid, my best friend who lived across the street, Chad Walter and I, we found spray paint in my parents' garage, and so we did what any normal kid would do, and we decided to spray paint the neighbor's house. <clears throat> and, um, Putting our initials probably was a bad idea because it made it pretty obvious who did it, but when my dad asked the question, why did you spray paint the neighbor's house, he didn't want to hear my answer. It sounded cool. He didn't think that was a good answer. But in the same type of thing of what happens here, they ask Peter and John a question, but they don't want the answer to the question. They say to him, how is this man walking? And Peter says, basically what he said before, he says, "You want to know how this man is walking now, that he was lame and now he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God all through the temple, that he wasn't allowed to go in the temple, and now he is. You want to know how this guy is walking? By the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus, this guy's life was radically and drastically changed. And he says, "Oh yeah, you know, the, the Jesus that you crucified." He says to them, you guys are guilty. You need to turn and repent so that your sins can be blotted out. He says, um, this, by the name of Jesus, this man ri- has, has risen, and the Jesus is who you crucified and whom God raised. And then Peter, as he's speaking, he says, the same Jesus that you have rejected. The third group of people is people who rejected the teaching of Jesus. So we have people who are annoyed by it, people who, were, who um, believed, and now people who are rejecting that, this message. And so really, what does that mean? It means that they don't, they don't believe, they're not convinced of, they're not sure of, they don't accept it as true. So when you think through, what, what is this? What are they rejecting? They reject the idea that this man could have been changed by a dead carpenter. There's no way that's true. That's what they've decided. There's no way it's true that this guy is lame from birth and cannot walk, and now he's up walking, leaping. There has to be another answer. It can't can't be. I don't believe it. They don't believe that Jesus died and then rose again. How could a man die and rise again? That's what they're thinking. They they don't believe that he's in heaven. They don't even, the Sadducees don't even believe in, in such a thing. And so he's in heaven and he's coming back again. They don't believe that. But I also think that they don't believe that they are guilty. Which this part blows my mind because they don't view that they're, they're guilty of killing the Messiah which makes sense because they don't think that Jesus was the Messiah. But this group of people were the ones who were chanting crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, that led to Jesus being murdered on a cross and yet they don't find themselves guilty of anything. But if you know the Ten Commandments, what's the first, not the first one, but you, thou shall not kill. They don't view, they're not convinced of, they don't believe the fact that they are guilty. You have this group of people who they've rejected it. They reject the idea that their sins need to be blotted out. They reject the idea that Jesus could do anything about it anyway. They reject the idea that they need a time of refreshing in their life. And I was, I, was, I was thinking through this, and as I was really kind of praying, I thought I, I, I wrote down this sentence and I liked it. It's to reject Jesus is to put your trust in somewhere, somewhere else. To reject Jesus is to put your trust in someone else. To reject Jesus is to put your trust in something else. In this group of people, although they're rejecting Jesus, I think what's happening is they're putting the trust in themselves. They're putting trust in their good deeds to get them to heaven. They're putting trust in their status as as religious people to put them into heaven. They're, they're, They're trusting in their position to get them there. They reject Jesus for salvation. They're putting their trust in themselves. So you see there's this group of people that Are annoyed a group of people who believe and there's a group of people who reject this message but then Peter takes it even a little bit further. Peter says um, he doesn't say hey look Jesus is one of the possible answers as to how this guy was walking. There's a couple there could have been a medical thing or but it's one of he doesn't say Jesus is one of the ways for salvation Jesus is one of the ways for forgiveness of sins he's one of the ways for your sins to be blotted out. What Peter says he says twice, and, and this time there was no like exclamation points, so they could exclamation point to to, to put. There's no bold italic letters. There was no underlining. Really, I mean, they're just he's just writing it. They're just saying it. So whenever you see repetition in the Bible, it's they're trying to, to highlight something. And so he, he says it two times back to back in chapter and verse 12. The first thing he says is this. He says there is no there's salvation in no one else other than Jesus. And then the very next thing he says is, there's no other name in which man can be saved. What Peter is saying here about the message of Jesus is that Jesus is not one way to salvation. He is the only way to salvation. And I feel like we're in a a culture that, that is not a very popular thing to say. It wouldn't have been a popular thing in this culture, but think of our culture. I have heard many a people say, you know, I think that there are many paths to heaven. There are many paths to God. I've heard it even described like this, that if you picture a wheel with the center of it, and there's like spokes on the wheel, like a bicycle wheel. When you think of that, it's like there's many paths that you can take to get to God. And it might be by being a good person, it might be believing in just a higher power, or maybe it's, it's Jesus, or it's Allah, or it's the Hindu gods, or, you know, just, maybe it's even just parts of any of it. You just, just kind of take whichever parts you like, smash it together, and be a good person, and you'll get to God. It's this wonderful, all-inclusive thing, but, but Peter here is not saying that at all. Peter is saying there is one way, and it's through Jesus. It's not a very popular thing to say especially to a group of people that have just murdered Jesus. But what Peter says is actually the exact same thing of what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then Jesus says, no one goes to the Father except In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said something very similar. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. In this group of people, there are some that believe that, some that reject it, and some that are just annoyed by that. But if you really think about this this text, at the very beginning of the text, last week, there's this man, he's lame from birth, He's, he's laying at the temple gate. He can't go in. And then, through Jesus, he enters through the door. He enters through Jesus, through the gate, through Jesus. And what happens? He's radically and drastically changed. And he can walk, and he can leap, and he can praise God. Peter is saying there's one way. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the door. As I was reading through this text and thinking through it, um, I knew it, but it hit me hard. I'm the lame man at the gate. I was the lame man at that gate. I'm a high school kid, thinks he knows everything, thinks he's figured out what life is all about. Doesn't matter who you hurt, how you hurt him, as long as you do what you do. You do you and you're all good. I was a lame man stuck at the gate and through Jesus I entered through that gate and I was radically and drastically changed um, I was that lame man who was in need of forgiveness I was the lame man who was in need of my sins to be blotted out I was the lame man who was in need of times of refreshing I don't know what's going on in your life today but my guess is that there's probably some things that have happened in your life that that you really uh, struggle with guilt for it's this burden that's just constantly on you through jesus that sin can be blotted out you can be made new if you enter through the gate as I was reading through this and thinking through this, I thought, you know, this message that Jesus gives, put your faith in him, repent, so that times of refreshing may come, so that your sins may be blotted out. It was a message that he was giving to these people, but I think it's a message he's giving even to us in this room. So I ask you the question, the same question I ask myself. I'm going to turn it from here to be very Um, devotional-like. This is really what I had to think through and process through and pray through through this week, and my hope is that you will kind of join me in it. Here are some things I asked myself. Where am I in this? Do I truly believe on Jesus? Do I reject him? Even in small ways. Am I annoyed by his teaching? And as I was thinking through this and processing, I was like, do I really recognize how guilty I was? How in need I am, even daily? Do I recognize that Jesus is the one with the ability that he's the only one that can take me from outside of the gate to take me into the gate? Do I, do I recognize his ability? Do I recognize my guilt? Do I really repent and turn? Have I, have I accepted him and, and, and trusted in him for salvation to get me where I couldn't go? And what I found, if I'm really honest, is yes, I have done that. I have, I have believed on him. I'm convinced that Jesus is who he said he was, and I put my faith and my hope and my trust in him, and I repented and turned and I trusted him for salvation, but if I'm really honest, do I believe on him day to day? I think there's this piece of me that I, I, I realized I needed him for salvation, but once I, once I had salvation, I'm kind of like, I'm good. I can do this day to day thing. And I'll, I'll go through life kind of stumbling to and fro, seeking to do that, and then until something happens that there's this huge reminder that You can't do it. You need Jesus day to day. This life is not easy. I read a quote this week. Part of why we suffer so much is because we don't expect to suffer. This life is hard. And I can trust on Jesus for salvation. I believe, I'm convinced, but then I can almost become convinced that I don't need him day to day. And as I was thinking through this and praying through this this is what i came up with my hope is that you come up with it too i believe on him i'm convinced of him and how much i need him so much that daily i need to be with him and i don't need to get up you know for me i i have been for the past year a little bit more than a year been getting up every morning and going spending time in the word and lately um I'm not supposed to be drinking coffee, too long of a story. My doctor says I don't need uh, caffeine right now. So I have just not had coffee. So I'm getting up drinking a warm glass of water, which tastes horrible, by the way. Um, I'm sitting there drinking a warm glass of water, well, a cup in my coffee mug so I can pretend like it's coffee. I'm sitting there drinking that, trying to read my Bible. You know what I realized? Like, even this this past week, I don't wanna get up in the morning and spend time in the word near as much now that I can't drink coffee. Did I really want to sit at Jesus' feet, the one who miraculously, radically, and drastically changed my life, or do I want to sit and have a cup of coffee? And God just penetrated my heart that I have believed on him for salvation, but oftentimes, day to day, I got it, God. God. My hope is is that we, as a people, that we believe on Him in such a way that we trust Him not just for salvation, but day in and day out. How else can I be a light at work? How else can I not, um, you know, flick somebody off when somebody cuts me off? Forget who it was. It was a house church. I think it was a house church. Somebody was saying that they um, they were driving and someone cut them off or something, and they just gave them a thumbs down. Like that's, isn't that kind of That's so much cooler, I think. Just, you get cut off, just nope, don't like it. But when we go through this daily life, it is hard. And I think what we can do is we can trust him for salvation, but then we say we got it. Do you, do I, do we believe on him? Are we convinced that we need him in our daily life? That no matter the amount of good deeds or how high of a position, spiritually we get, it's not good enough, it's not a strong enough base to stand on before him. I think that there's probably an aspect of people in here that maybe there's just, you reject that truth, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is how um, salvation comes, Jesus is the way to, to the Father and we kind of reject it I think what we do is we can almost say you know what I, this is just a story this book was written thousands of years ago we, don't even, we can't even prove if it's true and you get going in that sciencey mind of yours and, and you that's my help is I don't understand science at all so it makes it a little easier faith is a little easier for me but I, I can't I can't buy that this is this is just a story I'm not sure that if it's true and because I don't know that I don't really believe that I think that we can really struggle with the idea and rejecting the idea that he, Jesus actually rose again. We can reject the idea that he's in heaven, that he's coming back. We can reject the idea that I'm guilty. Me? Guilty? I'm a pretty good person, at least if you look at that guy. And we can compare ourselves and we can kind of justify ourselves like, you know what? I think I'm good. I'm probably not the worst person in this room. but we can reject it. We can reject the idea that we need our sins to be blotted out. We can reject the idea that my efforts are not good enough. We we, we don't believe that. We don't accept that. We're not convinced of that. I think we can very easily just want God for a get-out-of-jail-free card just a fire insurance policy. And we may say we accept him, we believe in him, and we may have prayed a prayer to believe in our hearts, confess by our mouth, and you will be saved, and that may have happened in your life, but if you really, if someone really looks deep into your life, they'd say, you know what? I think they've rejected it, the truth. So this week I had to really enter into my, uh, my Know, it sounds weird to say enter into myself, but I'd enter into and look at my life and say, is there any aspect of my life that I'm rejecting? And again, as I said before, to reject Jesus is to put your trust somewhere else, and someone else or in something else. And I would say, I've been there, and it is a dangerous place to be. In high school, I put my trust in my friends. I put my trust in basketball and being the bench warmer. I put my trust in the girl I was dating. I put my trust in money. I put my trust in all these different things. I rejected that it was Jesus that I needed. It was these other things that I needed. And guess what? It was shifting sand. Some of us here, I think that we uh, believe. Some of us here, it's possible that we're rejecting the truth. We're rejecting that message. I also think that there's some of us here that it's very possible that we could just be annoyed by the teaching of Jesus. If you really read through the things that Jesus said, <laughs> it's, it's tough. If you have looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. If someone punches you, turn the other cheek so they can punch you in the other cheek. Somebody asks you for money, give it to them. I think that if we're honest, we sometimes are annoyed by the teaching. We don't really want to accept what Jesus said. We don't really want, we, we don't want it to cause a disturbance in our lives. If I really trust on Jesus as my 2.5 kids and a pet and a house with a picket fence, it, it can just fall apart. If I'm annoyed by the word, it's because it's challenging the status quo if I really give my heart and my life to Jesus, if I really accept what he says as true, it will wreck your life. My life has been wrecked by grace. But I think oftentimes we can be annoyed by the teaching because we don't want to be wrecked by grace. It is so great if we feel like, For all God did, I owe him one hour on a Sunday. Man, I can go to church, I can check that box off and go home feeling great. But if I really accept and I'm not just kind of annoyed by the teaching of Jesus, you know what happens? That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for my entire life. I was okay with Jesus offering me salvation and taking me to heaven. I'm not as okay with him asking me to lay my life down. If I'm honest, as I wrestled through this this week, I realized there are things in my heart where I'm annoyed by the teaching of Jesus. I want to take and pick and choose parts. He's a God of love. Yep, love that. Read something else. No, 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 no. Let me try to reinterpret what that says. But what happens for me, and I think it's for all of us, I think we all share this common thing, I think it's part of being humans, is that we do not want God to be God, we want to be God. So we kind of define it, we figure it out, and I, I like take this, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to put it all together, and I got Jesus as I see him, and I'm going to follow. But I think it's because we're annoyed and part of the teaching, and when we do that, it's us desiring to be like God. And if you remember when we went through the story of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall, what happens They want to be like God. The enemy says, oh, God is saying not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will be like God if you eat of it. And what do they do? They're like, oh, it seems good. So they take it and they eat of it. When we are annoyed by the teaching in my life, when I'm annoyed by the teaching, what I find that I do is is I seek to have God conform to my heart rather than me conforming to his heart. I think it's very possible that more than just me is in this room. And if, I'm, if we're honest, we would say there are many times where I'm annoyed by the teaching of Jesus. And the harsh truth that I came across this week, I think being annoyed by the teaching is in itself a form of rejecting the truth. it is in my life. Here's, a, here's as I was thinking through, um, two ways that I think that you can identify if you think that maybe you are a little bit annoyed by the Word, or excuse me, annoyed by the teaching of Jesus, is you're, you kind of try to avoid the Word. Maybe those people in your life that you know love Jesus, you kind of want to avoid them. you find yourself wanting to avoid the word and you find yourself wanting to avoid those that love Jesus, there's a strong possibility that there is some um, annoyance with the message of Christ in your heart. I would say to my own heart and to anyone else here, if if you find yourself in that situation, repent and turn. I want to wrap it all up here. From chapter 3 through the beginning of chapter 4, what we've talked about today, here's what happens. There is a man that is radically and drastically changed, and people notice. And it opens up the door for this awesome opportunity for Peter to preach, and he preaches saying that Jesus is the way for forgiveness. Jesus is the way for salvation. Jesus is the way for your sins to be blotted out for a time of refreshing to come. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. That message was for them, that message is for us, and some of us will believe it, some will reject it, and some of us will be annoyed by it. What about you? I want to end with two verses. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. Here's the background. A man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And before Jesus can get to the daughter, someone comes to the man and says, leave the teacher alone, your daughter has died. And Jesus looks at this dad, who's just lost his daughter, and he says, do not fear, only believe. Mark chapter 9, verse 24 is the second there's a boy with an unclean spirit, and people try to heal this boy, and it's not working. So they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we can't, we can't heal it. Can't heal this boy. And Jesus looks to the dad and says, believe. And the dad says, I believe. Help my unbelief. my challenge my encouragement to my own heart after sitting in this hard truth this week was do not fear believe it was get to a point my hope is through jesus through, through jesus drawing me in that i could say i believe but help my unbelief and my prayer for all of us as individuals and as a church is that we would be a place that we don't reject the truth, that we're not annoyed by the truth, but that we do not fear and we believe. And and, in those moments where we're on, where we're a little bit shaky, where we would say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's pray. God, I, I said it last week and I'll say it again, I truly believe that you radically and drastically change lives. But help my unbelief. I believe that there are people's lives who could look one way, they could be stuck outside the gate, they could be lame, and that through the name of Jesus, they can be healed, they can walk, they can leap. God, I believe that those who struggle with, with gossiping can be changed. I trust and I believe that those who um, are Pharisees, those who want everybody to do things just right all the time, that they can be changed. I believe that people who struggle with addiction, that they can be changed. God, I believe that, that there is a, enough power in the name of Jesus to, to radically and drastically change any person in this room and any person in this world. But God, I say I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I pray that we would be a people who do not reject your truth, that we would be a people who are not annoyed by your truth, but that we would be a people who truly accept it. A people who can truly say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray it in the name that is above all names. I pray it in the name that radically and drastically changed this lame man And that name is jesus amen